Welcome to another edition of the News Review. In this edition, India says that it will continue buying Russian oil as it benefits the country, adding that trade ties with Moscow would keep going. India's Foreign Minister Shabarmayan Jayashinakar made these remarks after meeting his Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov. It was the fifth meeting between the two diplomats this year. The Indian official said that India uh, has a decades-long relation with Russia, and these relations have served both countries. His trip to Moscow comes as the U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen embarks on her first visit to New Delhi. According to reports, Yellen will hold talks with uh, Indian officials about a price cap on Russian oil exports. India has become Russia's largest oil consumer, and after China, it is following the Western sanctions on Moscow over the war in Ukraine. Meanwhile, the Turkish energy minister says Ankara has started paying for some of its natural gas imports from Russia in rubles. To discuss that further, we're joined by uh, Russia-India Professor of Political Sciences, Glenn Deason, from the University of Southeastern Northway from Oslo. Also, we have with us Scott Ritter, a former UN weapons inspector in Iraq, joining us from Bethlehem, New York. Thank you very much to both of you gentlemen for joining us on this edition of the News Review. Let's begin with uh, Glenn. If you could please tell us what your opinion is regarding this kind of alliance that we see uh, forming uh, with Russia. We see that on the one hand, Turkey has decided to pay for the gas and rubles, something that Russia has been demanding for months. And also, uh, we uh, see that India keeps insisting on buying oil from Russia. And of course, right now, China and Russia, uh, China and India are the main customers of uh, Russian oil. Well, I wouldn't call it an alliance, because an alliance, by definition, is country A and B uh, cooperating against country C. Now, uh, on the contrary, India does not want to get involved in any alliance. Uh, it views this war in Ukraine rightly as a proxy war between NATO and Russia. That is, uh, um, uh, the NATO having expanded, which has resulted in the collapse of the European security system, uh, which provoked the Russian invasion. Now, uh, India hasn't supported Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but also it doesn't want to partake in any of the sanctions, given that it does recognize this also as being a provocation of NATO. Uh, instead, I think we see India working as, or positioning itself as an independent polo power in a multipolar system. That means it won't be coerced by the West into an, an alliance. And this is what we see now, an effort to bring back this Cold War alliances. So Germany is being pressured between, you know, to show alliance to the West instead of China. Uh, they're trying to do the same with India. Uh, but obviously you can't pressure India into taking this position because uh, they have a, you know, decades-long uh, good relationship with Russia. And now they're also uh, becoming a key buyer, a consumer of cheap Russian oil which is good, which is an interest of the Indian nation, not uh, being an, uh, part of an alliance. And it also makes India much more, Indian industries much more competitive as uh, ener cheap energy resources is the key recipe for a uh, competitive industry. Exactly. So, Mr. Ritter, in your opinion, what does this spell out for Western 
countries, and particularly the U.S. and its Western allies in Europe? Well, it spells trouble, nothing but trouble. Um, as uh, Secretary Yellen will undoubtedly uh, say to her Indian counterparts upon her arrival, um, by India and other nations purchasing Russian oil in quantity, even at uh, significant discounts, they are facilitating the continued sustainability and viability of the Russian economy. And uh, that's the exact opposite direction the United States and its NATO allies want the uh, Russian economy to be heading. They're hopeful that uh, sanctions would have curtailed, strangled the Russian economy, um, and that's not happening. So she'll be asking for the price cap, something that the G7 and NATO and the United States have all said is necessary. Uh, according to their calculations, this allows India to continue to access the oil at the price or the oil that it needs, but it will be denying Russia uh, the profits that are generated from these sales, thereby directly impacting Russia's economy. Um, India has already said that it's not going to participate in the sanctions, and the oil cap is just a modification of, uh, of sanctions. Russia has said that any nation that participates in the oil cap will be an unfriendly nation, and that's the exact opposite trajectory that India wants to go with Russia. So uh, this spells trouble for the United States, but the United States has no solution. Uh, the United States has long sought to strong arm in uh, countries like India who carry out policies that are in opposition to that which the United States would prefer them to have. The United States has used the tool of sanctions, et cetera. But India is at a critical pivot point right now with uh, its important role in the BRICS economic group. Uh, it's growing strategic importance in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization um, and its absolutely important role in the developing trans-Eurasian Economic Union. Um, I don't think India is going to sacrifice all of this uh, and its important role in, the, in a new multipolar world just to appease the United States. And that, in my opinion, is uh, the golden uh, expression you just used, a multipolar world. And uh, Professor uh, Deason, in your opinion, what will the world look like in several years from now, considering uh, these new uh, cooperation, basically based on the economy uh, taking place in the world and uh, power shifting from the West towards the East? Well, uh, when the Cold War came to an end, Russia uh, initially attempted to integrate only with Europe. It had this dream of a greater Europe. Uh, but slowly this began to fade away once it became known that they would be excluded from the new Europe. And when the West toppled the government in Ukraine in 2014, this is when Russia made this decisive shift that it would be abandon greater Europe and instead embrace greater Eurasia. Now, this is primarily uh, economic cooperation, as Mr. Ritter also pointed out, which means a look towards the East, not just for trade, but to set up a, 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 you know, parallel or alternative uh, tech hubs, uh, to set up uh, their own uh, formats for cooperating on strategic in industries, such as uh, energy exports, uh, new transportation corridors, such as the Belt and Road initiatives. We have a new payment system, uh, new banks uh, trading in local currencies, and of course, all of this facilitating it in a variety of institutions, uh, the SCO being a key one, obviously. So all of this is creating a new geoeconomic architecture, which is connecting the Eurasian space. 
effectively not just making Russia immune to sanctions, but also other countries in the East as well. And this is becoming quite important now, because as we see, a hegemony decline will always use uh, its, uh, its uh, administrative control over the international economy more and more coercively. And we see this with the United States. It's not only using sanctions against its adversaries, but it's also now using sanctions against allies. Uh, India being one, uh, being threatening them with sanctions for trading with Russia, but also, as we saw with the Europeans, uh, putting sanctions on European companies who were working on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. So I think for this reason, it's important for well, the rest of the world to become more immune against these kind of sanctions and economic coercion as this world transitions into a multipolar uh, system. Now, obviously, these sanctions will only intensify uh, the perceived need by Russia as well as other countries in the East to follow through on this uh, on this economic connectivity. So I, I, I just I don't think it's even in the Americans' interest to do this. This uh, they really need to uh, facilitate a multipolar world to play a central role in such a multipolar world. Because what should be concerning for the United States is a lot of these institutions and economic connectivities now appearing appears to be in opposition to the United States, and it didn't have to be this way. Um, but again, this is all very self-defeating. I don't see it in being the United States' interest. So. Uh, but definitely, this is the path which is intensifying now. So, Mr. Richter, uh, sanctions uh, is obviously now a failed policy. Do you believe? How long do you think the West will adhere to imposing sanctions as a way to uh, get its way? Well, when we say the West, understand that um, on its own volition, I don't believe Europe would be uh, quite the sanctions embracing entity that it is today. The sanctions are pretty much the policy of the United States and then we impose our will on our erstwhile allies to follow suit. Uh, it's an American policy uh, derived from the unmatched uh, power influence uh, that the dollar has on the global economy. Not only is it the, you know, the, the, the currency of you know, a sovereign reserve wealth. Uh, it's the currency of global exchange, the petrodollar. Uh, and the United States has exploited this by passing laws, American laws, that um, extend the reach of the U.S. government to anybody who touches a dollar, whether it be a bank, um, a government, a private enterprise, etc. And then we sanction them. And because of the power of the American economy, uh, we're able to leverage this into getting other nations to follow through. Um, it's a violation of international law, frankly speaking, um, and it doesn't work, as you pointed out. But it is a reflection of the arrogance and hubris of the United States that, you know, we are the, the American singularity. The, the world must revolve around us. And even as we, you know, decline in terms of our influence and power, um, our, our narcissistic <laughs> politicians refuse to accept this reality. And I think the United States will be sanctioning other nations uh, up until the very end when the American economy becomes recognized by the majority of the world as not having the influence and therefore uh, the threat, the, the ability to threaten others. Um, but you know, the, as, as, as the professor said, the smart thing would be for the United States to take a step back and work with the world to manage uh, this transition into a new multipolarity. But American politics isn't about being smart, it's about being powerful, and we're going to maintain the pretense of power up until the end. 
Thank you very much, Scott Ritter, former UN weapons inspector in Iraq from Bethlehem, New York, and also Glenn Deason, professor of political science from the University of Southeastern Norway from Oslo. Thank you very much to both of you gentlemen for sharing your thoughts and views with us on this edition of the News Review. And thanks to all of you viewers for watching this edition.